You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. What are cravings and why are we driven to eat certain foods? On this episode, we're going to uncover the science behind cravings and how to manage our cravings to support our health long term. Now, the word craving has a lot of meanings in our language. To sum it all up, it can range from a small internal whisper to a deep burning desire for something. We can crave achievement, love, drugs, food, and so much more. In fact, cravings are at an all-time high today. There are more things than ever to crave, more access to them, and more things designed to keep you coming back for more. Now let's dive in and actually analyze what cravings actually are in the context of food and nutrition. So what are cravings? A craving can be defined as a strong desire for something. In the context of food, a food craving is an intense, urgent desire or longing for a certain food. Now, again, keep in mind, cravings can be subtle, but for our intents and purposes today, we're talking about the cravings that can really grab you by the jugular. Now, I also wanna make this point clear that cravings are totally normal and natural. It's a natural part of being human. It's a natural part of being really any species. All of us are driven to certain things, to certain behaviors. So cravings, again, this is not what's abnormal. What tips things into abnormality and even danger is having consistent cravings for things that can ultimately cause us harm. Now, what causes these cravings? Well, cravings we experience are the result of a series of chemical reactions. So remember that part, it's a result of a series of chemical reactions. These cravings are very real physical changes in the body, but this is where things can get tricky. Cravings are not a simple, quote, physical desire for something. Cravings can be triggered by physical, mental, and even social conditions. Your thoughts and your perception of the world around you can instantly alter the chemistry in your body. And some of these alterations can drive us to certain behaviors and they can also increase our cravings. So we're gonna break down each of these pieces in just a moment. But a big part of the problem in our modern understanding of biology, of cravings, of the human body and how we interact with our environment is that our education today frames the body, the brain, and the mind as totally different. Now, the reality is that they're all intimately connected and cannot be separated from one another. And they're constantly feeding back data every moment of every day to each other. So what's happening with your mind is inherently going to affect your body because your thoughts instantaneously alter your chemistry. So whether you're having thoughts that are more positive and affirming, right? So thoughts of peace, of love, of satisfaction versus thoughts that might be a little bit more detracting. Thoughts of sadness, depression, envy, right? These are all things that alter our chemistry in what we would define as negative or positive ways. But we don't want to put a blanket statement on any of these things because all of these things are human emotions 
that we all can experience. And the key word here is experience. We literally feel these things in our bodies. When we're angry, you feel it in your body. When you're excited, you feel it in your body. When you're feeling anxious, you feel it in your body. Your chemistry is changing based on your thoughts. So remember that because this is a very important ingredient in really understanding how our cravings work and how to healthfully manage our cravings. So again, what actually causes cravings? Let's look at this from three specific levels now. The three major sources of cravings are number one, physical. Physical maintenance and survival of our bodies. Our cells literally require key nutrients from the external world in order to function. Now, if you think about this, this is really cool and also kind of freaky. We take stuff from the outside world, put it into our bodies, and it becomes a part of us. All right. It's very strange that that's kind of how life is constructed. Everything is eating something. Everything is exchanging energy and kind of living on. When we take something on, put it into our bodies, it's living on through us. It becomes a part of us. If anything, becoming an energy substrate or an energy source to fuel processes in the body as well. And our cells require key nutrients in order to perform all the stuff that the body does. And so just for your vision, to function properly and all the interactions with your brain and nervous system, there are key nutrients that are involved in that process. You know, maybe it's zeaxanthin, maybe it's lutein, you know, maybe there's this role that vitamin C is playing, the list goes on and on and on. We need these key nutrients or our vision is gonna start to fail. But prior to that, our biology is going to drive us to crave certain things to get those key nutrients into our bodies. Because, and this is where the physical aspect comes in at in the body's intelligence, through human evolution and also all species, again, have you ever thought why certain animals are driven to eat certain things? Have you ever thought about that? Why does a cheetah eat certain things? Why does an anteater eat certain things? Why does a lamb eat certain things? Who told them to eat those foods? Who gave them that instruction manual and told them that this is what you're supposed to eat. And also, by the way, their diets will adjust based on the environment that they're placed in. There is an inherent kind of instruction manual that would drive certain animals to eat certain things. And the same thing holds true for us as human beings. But what is the biggest difference about this is that humans are able to literally plant themselves anywhere on planet Earth and find a way to survive. And also, we have such a vast array of different foods that we eat collectively as human beings throughout our evolution. And depending on where you are on planet Earth, different humans are eating different things. And up until recently, however, and this is the big caveat, and we'll get more into this shortly, humans were eating natural foods, foods that had a close proximity to the natural world. Whereas today, we have all of these kind of highly refined, ultra-processed foods that we've just simply made up, food scientists have created, and it's kind of thrown off this system a little bit because what would happen through our evolution, and this is how it actually works, when we would eat a certain food, we'll say wild strawberries, for example, we would eat that food, and our ancestors, just keep in mind, we're talking about earlier on in human evolution, our ancestors would eat that wild strawberry, and their cells would essentially take 
notes, little sticky notes on what nutrients were found in that food. What nutrients came along with that flavor? This phenomenon is called post-ingestive feedback. And again, it's essential to our understanding of how food and our interaction with the external world works while we're driven to eat certain things. So this is very, very important to understand, post-ingestive feedback. When we eat a certain food, again, we'll use these strawberries as an example, wild strawberries, and maybe our ancestor was able to pull in vitamin C, some folate, some copper, some potassium. And so now our cells are basically slapping a label on that flavor. A memory is tied to that flavor that, hey, if I'm in need of vitamin C to help to regenerate an injury to my skin or to help to fortify my immune system or to help my body to, to manage the stress I'm experiencing, I'm going to incite a craving for those strawberries because I know that there is a viable source of vitamin C in those strawberries. This is how cravings evolved. All right, this is how the intelligence of our bodies was developed for hundreds of thousands of years in this current form. And so it's a highly intelligent system, but the question is what happens when we come in with newly invented flavors and taking things that we evolved with, for example, that strawberry flavor, and now through several new inventions, one of them being a gas chromatograph, Scientists can identify the flavor makeup, the chemistry that makes the flavor of a strawberry. And now we can take that chemistry and add it to things that are not strawberries. We can add that to soda. We can add that to candy. We can add that to chips. And I know you're like, why would somebody eat strawberry chips? In Canada, they're eating ketchup chips. I just found this out. Shout out to all my family and friends in Canada. What's going on? All right, it's just weird to us, but I get it. Potato, ketchup, potato, ketchup. But Lay's ketchup flavored potato chips, it's just, it's just weird, but it's a cultural difference. It's a cultural change. Because of course, a lot of people from different countries will see some of the stuff we eat here, and they're just gonna be like, man, we are on one for sure. So again, now we can take that chemistry, that certain flavor, because guess what? There's no actual ketchup on those Lay's potato chips, all right? It's ketchup flavor. The tomato flavor can be isolated and identified, and that chemistry can be added to basically whatever they want to add it to. And so now, this post-ingestive feedback, where our bodies are, are expecting certain things to come along with certain flavors, even though those flavors don't have to be exactly the same, by the way, because... A strawberry soda doesn't taste exactly like a strawberry. It's just a, it's just a hint of it. It's just a reminder. It's just a little bit of a whisper, but it's enough to muddy up those metabolic waters where the expectation with certain flavors are now confused and our biology starts to get confused. And now we run into this place where we're having abnormal cravings. Now we run into this place where that craving feedback that our body's trying to get a, give us to drive us towards certain food, it's all now kind of getting ruffled up, all right? And I just thought of ruffles because of the damn Lay's potato chips. And we're gonna talk more about this, but I just wanna open up that mental tab for you, post-ingestive feedback and how important that is in understanding how cravings work, that cravings are not bad. We evolved having cravings. 
Again, so the first major source of our cravings is physical cravings, physical maintenance and survival. All right, our bodies, our biology driving us to eat certain things. Now moving on to the second major source of our cravings has to do with our mind. Our mental state is a huge driving force of our cravings. In particular, our state and perception of stress. Now we already highlighted how our thoughts change the chemistry in our bodies. And so we're, if we're dealing with an abnormal amount of stress, this is going to tend to drive certain behaviors, including eating certain things. This phenomenon of stress eating is a very, very real thing. Pretty much everybody has done it at some point, but oftentimes we might not realize that we're doing it because the behavior becomes automated. We are oftentimes looking for a sense of certainty, some peace, but in particular, eating something that is more carbohydrate dominant even activates a release of a little bit of serotonin, all right? And this is this kind of glorified feel-good neurotransmitter slash hormone that brings a little bit of balance, a little bit of peace, a little sense of, of, of goodness, a little sense of, of even pleasure. And so this is why we tend to go towards those type of foods when we're feeling a lot of stress. And again, this isn't that it's wrong to crave some more carbohydrate dominant foods when we're feeling stress. Again, through our evolution, we probably would have had this same drive because all the decisions that we're making, for example, we can experience something called decision fatigue. Just the fact that we're making decision after decision after decision, all that stuff is just pulling glucose from our system, siphoning a lot of energy, in particular with the human brain being able to process all these decisions. And so we're going to have a draw towards things that are more carbohydrate dominant. All right, so our mind, all right, our mental state is a huge driving force of our cravings. Again, we're gonna talk more about this, but we're just highlighting these three major sources of cravings. And the third one being social slash environmental triggers. We all make neural associations where our brain links certain environments to certain behaviors. Our brain makes certain associations between certain people and certain behaviors. Being around certain people can incite certain cravings. All right, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this before, but when we're around certain people, we make adaptations, all right? Whether this is adaptations in our language, our pace, of dictation, our level of you know, excitement or being kind of de-excited, we are adjusting to kind of fit into our environment. We evolve doing this again as human beings, but also we tend to include ourselves in the behaviors of the group. So in the context of what people are eating, we tend to dabble, even if it's unplanned, we tend to dabble in what everybody else is eating when we're in a certain environment. And this is okay. Now, a lot of people, as they're trying to get healthier, what they deem to be healthier, are often faced with environments where they have these certain behaviors. You know, maybe it's going over to your aunt's house, you know, for a barbecue. Maybe it's, you know, they're, they're bringing out the cupcakes for somebody's birthday at the office, whatever the case might be. And you're like, you told yourself, I'm not going to eat these certain foods, but you find yourself dabbling. And again, we're not getting into a place where we are starting to villainize behaviors. 
we're getting to a place where we understand our draw towards those things, our cravings, where they come from, even if something doesn't seem to be attractive or we're telling ourselves we don't want to involve ourselves in certain things, oftentimes that would involve ourselves not being in certain environments because the cravings will be triggered just by being around certain people or in certain places. Now, where are cravings managed in our bodies? Where is this actually located? Where is there like a little man with like a crane moving around stuff in our brain? I'm thinking about Homer Simpson with the monkey with the with the symbols, all right? What's happening in our bodies? Where is this located? Who's driving us to want certain things? Now, there are certain areas of the brain that regulate cravings and our appetite, which is how much of something we are driven to eat, by the way. So there's a, a distinction between the two. Our cravings are the drive towards the thing, the drive or the longing for eating a certain thing. Our appetite is how much of that thing we are driven to eat. So where is this happening? Where is this going down? Where's the man on the crane? Well, our cravings are actually managed in something called the appetite regulating network, all right, or the ARN. And this consists of distinct circuitry in our hypothalamus. All right, so this is really the master gland in the human body. Uh, according to many different scientists would, would deem that to be the master gland. And it's really the tip of the spear of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. But along that, we have the thyroid, we have the gut, we have the gonads, all right? A lot of that is happening on that information superhighway. But your hypothalamus is really integrating, it's an integration point of your endocrine system, your hormones, and your nervous system, your neurotransmitters. So there's a lot of intelligent action happening here. And by the way, this is also where the appetite regulating network is seated. Now this distinct circuitry in the hypothalamus relays desire to eat and the appetite drive to respective cells in your body that drive us towards these behaviors. And it's subject to modulation by excitatory and inhibitory, so driven to do something and also pushing away or inhibiting or being unattracted to a thing based on messages from other regions of the brain and body. I'm gonna say that again. It's subject to modulation by excitatory and inhibitory messages from other regions of the brain and body. So your hypothalamus isn't just telling you to go eat something. It's getting feedback from other places in your body. Let me give you an example. Signals from leptin, which leptin is today, a lot of people have heard this already. They're aware of this. But truly, leptin is your body's major kind of primary satiety hormone. There are many others, right? So we've got GLP-1, for example. We've got peptide YY or PYY, pretty young thing, for example. Um, but there are many different satiety hormones, but leptin is really the power player in this. And leptin is actually produced by our fat cells. So something produced by our fat cells primarily is telling us that we've had enough, is making us have this reduction in cravings, higher feeling of satiety, reduction in appetite, based on what our fat cells deem to be like, okay, we're good, we've got enough, we've got enough filling here, all right, we've got enough stockpiled, we're solid, and we produce some leptin, 
shut off that appetite. But the question is, for many people that have excessive buildup of body fat, why is leptin not enough to shut down the appetite? And this is a phenomenon known as leptin resistance. Leptin resistance. This is when a ton of leptin keeps getting produced, but the receptor sites for leptin start to lose their sensitivity because of all the leptin exposure. And the question would be, why would we keep eating so much when our cells are like screaming out and shooting out all this data to shut down the appetite and the cravings? And this is really at the heart of this episode that we're gonna to get to in a moment, but that's really kind of the crux of the situation. Our bodies are making these things to help to shut this down, but for some reason today, which you're gonna find out why, it's not enough. Now, here's the tie-in with leptin. Leptin and ghrelin, which is produced by the gut, that's our major hunger hormone, communicates with the appetite regulating network in the brain. So this is one of the ways that it works. It's communicating in direct communication with that aspect of the brain. And it's establishing moment to moment regulation of energy homeostasis, all right? So these hormones are getting produced at their respective places based on the data that our body's picking up about ourselves, about ourselves in relationship to the environment, the world around us, producing leptin, producing ghrelin, communicating with the ARN in the brain, and it's establishing the moment-to-moment -moment regulation of energy homeostasis. So this system, this highly intelligent system, is regulating energy signals, AKA what the body needs. And our cravings are actually a call to reach homeostasis. This is such an important aspect of understanding this. Cravings are actually a call to reach homeostasis. Better said, your cravings are a drive to bring balance to your brain and body. Now the question is, what caused the imbalance in the first place? Now let's dig into five of the primary drivers of this imbalance that tips us out of homeostasis, inciting the cravings. Number one is excess stress exposure can definitely drive cravings. The question is why? We're just going to touch on a couple of aspects of this. One of them is when we're experiencing excessive stress, our adrenal glands, right? So this is really a hub for our stress-related hormones is also dumping out a lot of vitamin C into our system as well because this vitamin C is a modulatory factor for our immune system function. And we're talking about stress, and we're talking about things like inflammation. These are all regulated and driven by our immune system. Our immune system is trying to sort things out to keep us alive and to keep us protected. So excessive stress is essentially, it can be like an emergency situation that our immune system really needs to be front and center because something stressful is happening. Maybe this person is facing an injury, you know, getting hit with a spear or bit by a bear. You know, we need to be ready. We need to stay ready so we don't have to get ready. All right, that's the, that's the mantra of the immune system. All right, and it should be our mantra too, by the way. All right, so as we're dumping out a lot of vitamin C, this is going to incite accordingly a later craving for 
vitamin C, because again, this is one of the most essential nutrients that we have to get from the external world, from our environment. Some animals make vitamin C, funny enough, we don't, because through our evolution, it was really abundant and we had a lot of access to it. But this vitamin C dip can cause cravings for sweets, for sweet things. Because through our evolution, vitamin C has been found abundantly in sweet fruits. And accordingly, a source of fructose, all right? Or fructose, if you're nasty. Now, unfortunately, our sweet cravings that have been tied to fructose can now be cross-wired with highly concentrated forms of fructose found in ultra-processed foods. This is again where the situation gets sticky. Something that would be more normal and natural, a dip in vitamin C, a drive or craving for something sweet found in nature, but now suddenly ultra-processed foods are where we most tie these sweet sensations to. And this is where, again, this cross-wiring happens. It's kind of like with the Ghostbusters when you know, Vankman in them was like, don't cross the streams, don't cross the streams. We might blow up the whole planet. You know, we might rip a, a hole in the universe. We don't know, don't cross the streams, but our streams are getting crossed, all right? Through this rampant exposure to ultra processed foods. And again, you know, with crossing the streams, we might rip a hole in humanity's universe or blow up the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. We don't know what's gonna happen. All right, but we're seeing the results thus far. All right, we just take a good look at the world around us and something is definitely spooky. All right, we're gonna move on. Number two here, and looking at, again, what is causing the imbalance? What is tipping us out of homeostasis? Number two, having a blood sugar spike and a respective crash is one of the fastest ways to trigger cravings. Your body takes your blood sugar levels very, very, very seriously. We are hardwired like this. Having our blood sugar too low means susceptibility, means a potential inadequate ability to survive should we be faced with a threat, all right? Because our DNA, even though we, we pop into Teslas, even though we can have, you know, the, the the retro ones all the way to the Jordan 27s or where we're at, all right? Everything looks so evolved and sophisticated, but our genes, our DNA is all functioning on programs that have been running for hundreds of thousands of years in this really deep intelligence. And if our blood sugar goes too low, this might mean we can't run fast enough to get away or to defend ourselves. And so, because again, we evolved in conditions where we had to stay ready. All right, and so blood sugar crash, our body takes that very seriously, and there is a response with our stress hormones. It is definitely going to activate that kind of stress pathway when we're talking about our sympathetic fight or flight nervous system is gonna kick on. It's gonna trigger something called gluconeogenesis, the creation of new glucose. If need be, it can break down our tissues to make glucose if need be, and or it can prompt you to get something that is very dense in glucose in your body ASAP. That's where the cravings come in at. And so again, our blood sugar is something that our bodies take very, very seriously. And one of the cool things about today in our innovation is that this is one of the few things that we can track ourselves. We can get incredibly accurate and viable data 
so that we can manage our blood sugar ourselves because no one else is like you. Part of the problem with all these cookie cutter diets and exercise programs, we don't understand that we are different from everyone else. Yes, there are some basic tenets that apply across the board to some degree, but being able to track your own blood sugar in real time is such a valuable asset. And this is a way that you can understand how certain foods affect you versus someone else, your best friend, your significant other, you know, your, your parents, whatever the case might be, your coworkers, different foods affect people differently. For some people, they can lead, a, a, a food that is deemed to be super healthy can lead to an abnormal spiking crash. And then we're wondering like why we don't feel good and why we're having cravings later. And it can also provide you data on how other things affect you like stress and your sleep quality. And you'll notice how certain things might increase or decrease your cravings. But to be able to track this for myself, for my family, and for hundreds of thousands of people, we've been utilizing levels. And levels shows you in real time how food affects your health through continuous glucose monitors. The Levels app provides access to continuous glucose monitors and the incredible Levels app pairs with CGMs or continuous glucose monitors to give you your own personalized data. They've got hundreds of thousands of data points on different foods and they're just collecting all this so that we can start to understand you know some some averages right so rather than guessing which foods might be bad like we can get population data and see that but also we can track it for ourselves because even if 90 percent of people are having this reaction maybe this food is ideal for you right now and again this is about empowerment this is about understanding what's happening in your body and one of the things I was surprised by myself is that my wife's blood sugar is much more stable than mine when it comes to food, all right? She doesn't move much at all, all right? She doesn't have a lot of spikes and uh, dips and troughs, all right? Whereas for me, it depend, really depends on the food. It really depends, I'm much more sensitive. And, but with that said, she's much more sensitive to stress, much more sensitive to stress. And these are just some of the things that we found out by utilizing Levels. And right now, Levels is providing us with a special offer when you go to levels.link forward slash model. Right, go there right now. And when you get their annual membership, they're going to give you two months for free. All right, so check them out ASAP. Again, that's levels.link forward slash model. That's L-E-V-E-L-S dot L-I-N-K forward slash model model grab their annual membership get two months for free all right awesome so so awesome i love the folks over at levels now again your body takes your blood sugar very very seriously and this is one of the things that can tip us out of homeostasis now let's move on to number three here and number three of these five key ways that can tip us into imbalance that can tip us out of homeostasis number three is nutrient deficiencies chronic nutrient deficiency leads to chronic overeating. I'm gonna say that again. Chronic nutrient deficiency leads to chronic overeating. We talked a little bit about this already. Our biology is going to drive us to eat certain things. And when we're, for example, deficient in copper, in magnesium, in key amino acids, in lysine, in arginine, whatever the case might be, and we have a craving, 
and then in comes some Pringles. All right, once you pop, you can't stop. And although our body is inciting a craving maybe for something salty, and now we're eating those Pringles, hand getting stuck in the canister, trying to get the ones at the bottom. Is there a strategy with that? We're, that comes in, now we've got an influx of caloric energy in this ultra-processed food form, but we didn't provide our body with the key nutrients that it was looking for. So guess what's gonna happen? We're going to be hungry again shortly thereafter. And our body's gonna keep driving us, driving cravings to eat more, trying to search for the nutrients that it needs to keep us alive, to regenerate our tissues, to manage our immune system, to manage our digestion, to keep our heart beating. It's kind of important. So that's where these, these cravings can be triggered from as far as nutrient deficiencies. Now, again, we're just touching on these drivers of imbalance and we're gonna cover some science-backed solutions for all of them shortly. All right, let's look at number four here. Number four on this list of key things that can tip us out of homeostasis, number four, and this has to do with the environment slash social dynamic, number four is fitting in to the social dynamic. No one wants to feel like an outcast. And I'm not talking about Andre Benjamin and Big Boy. All right, shout out to outcast. But no one wants to feel like an outcast or unwanted or a threat to the social dynamic. That stressor often leads to participation in behaviors of the group to fit in. So we think that we're not influenced by peer pressure. You know, we're kids, you know, in elementary school, middle school, whatever, and you know, we get a presentation on peer pressure and you know, just say no, whatever the case might be. You know, we think that that's just for the kids, but adults truly, like it's not that we're subject to peer pressure, like we're super good at it. It's because we've had years and years and years of experience at adapting to that peer pressure. So for many adults, it's like just automatic, all right? So, but we think that we outgrow this so that we're so hyper aware of it. But again, we evolved having this deep primal drive to make sure that we're fitting into the group because being outcast from the group means death, all right? Humans, we need each other. This is how we evolved. All right. Today, of course, we can hide out for a while, but the most introverted among us still needs love and connection. Now, in this social context, this typically involves foods, drinks, drugs, and all sorts of modeling behavior to adapt to the environment that you might find yourself in. Now, the macro culture where there's more things to crave now than ever and more access than any other time in history, and now we're seeing the consumption of food energy rising higher and higher with each generation accordingly. And my question was, could this be changing our brains in some way? In particular, looking at what's regulating our cravings and appetite in the brain. And I came across a study that was published by the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology, the FACIB Journal, and the scientists detailed how exposure to excessive calorie intake while we're in our mother's womb can result in permanent changes within the Central Appetite Regulatory Network, the ARN. That, according to these researchers, likely leads to more weight gain and lowered leptin expression throughout our lives. So we're at this point, this tipping point with our society where our brains are changing before we even get here and really priming us for higher rates of cravings 
and leptin resistance. So even when our cells are getting full with energy, that signal trying to shut off those cravings is not getting picked up by our brains. Now, again, this is not about judgment. This is not about guilt or any mistakes that we might've made. I grew up in the golden age, well, the beginning of the golden age of ultra processed foods. All right, um, I'm pretty sure my mom was guzzling Coca-Cola. No, I'm sorry, her beverage's choice was Pepsi when I was getting baked in her oven. All right, so I'm a product of that life. All right, and then coming in you know, through the 80s and all of this ultra processed food and this boom in fast food restaurants and access to really cheap ultra processed foods, it definitely altered my biology. The same thing for all of my family members. You know, there really wasn't a person in my family that didn't have some kind of a chronic disease. You know, whether this is obesity, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, the list goes on and on, let alone the mental health aspect of this. And we've got to understand that the environment that we are in is literally changing the way that our brains are being constructed. And this, rather than inciting fear, this should be driving us towards empowerment and understanding like we have a lot of, of power in this, but if we're just going with the flow of what's happening with society, we're just gonna fall right in line with what's happening. But I know that we can change this. And so again, I'm gonna look at solutions in a moment here, but also I wanted to hit this last one. So this is number five on these key elements that can tip us out of homeostasis and drive cravings. Number five is that insurgence of ultra-processed foods that have altered our biology, that have altered our neurochemistry. Ultra-processed foods are literally designed by food scientists to be addictive, to drive excessive cravings, and to make you eat them more often. It's about the bottom line. The company is not in the business of having a one-time customer. They're mandate their mission is to create lifetime customers to create repeat customers who keep buying these ultra processed foods becoming more and more addicted to them over time and of course seeing the degeneration of our health the loss of our sense of self-control all of these things come packaged up in this explosion in ultra processed food that we're seeing now am i just saying this you know me i don't just say stuff all right, I've got the science to back this up. And this was highlighted in a randomized trial that was recently published in the journal Cell Metabolism. They took 20 weight-stable participants, 10 men, 10 women, and they were admitted into the Metabolic Clinical Research Unit at the NIH. All right, they're at the NIH, hanging out in their creepy Stranger Things lab, and while they're there, they are actually staying, once they sign that paper, for 28 days, and they're tracking everything. So this is a ward study. They're not just like going out to like, I'll be right back, let me run the Whole Foods, all right? They're eating what they're given. And so the participants are randomly assigned to either the ultra processed food group or the whole food based slash minimally processed diet for two weeks, followed by immediately swapping to the alternate diet that they were not on, 
for the final two weeks. So everybody got exposed to each diet, but it was random how they were placed. Now the meals were provided to the test subjects containing an equal amount of calories. Please hear this. Equal amount of calories, whether it's ultra processed or minimally processed, equal amount of calories in the meals, equal amount of macronutrient ratios in the meals, equal amounts of sugar, sodium, and fiber. But the key change being, is this naturally derived or ultra processed? When we're even talking about sugar, for example. But one other important point here with this study was that the test subjects were instructed to eat as much as they wanted. Eat as much or as little as you desire from each of these respective meals. Now here's what happened after they compiled the data at the end of this 28 day study. At the end of the study, it was found that when participants ate meals of ultra processed foods, they ended up eating about 500 more calories a day. That adds up quick. 500 more calories per day than they did when they ate meals of whole food slash minimally processed foods. Accordingly, test subjects gained about two pounds during the two weeks eating ultra processed foods and they also lost two pounds during the two weeks they were eating real foods. This is remarkable. Again, this is a recently published study really laying it out there. Like when people are eating ultra processed foods, their biology is driving them to eat more. It's not shutting off those cravings and making you feel that sense of satiety. So the question is, is dieting really the answer to our problems? Should we just do a random kind of conventional calorie restricted diet and try to force ourselves to eat less of those ultra processed foods? Should we go cold turkey? All right. Maybe the cravings will just go away through sheer willpower. Well, several studies, including a study that was published in the journal Appetite in 2011, indicates that restrictive dieting often leads to increased cravings for those same foods that you're not trying to eat, for those quote, off-limit foods. When we haphazardly just diet, if our diet is not constructed of real foods, where so many of these different systems are like, you know, eat whatever you want, just manage calories in, calories out. We got a point system, we got, some people can find success, but a lot of people don't, and they're not the ones in the commercials, all right? The quality of those foods do in fact matter. And that's what the majority of peer-reviewed clinical data shows. So when we just try to muscle our way through it, you know, cut calories, diet, just don't eat those foods, our cravings go up for those same foods we're not trying to eat because we're not really addressing homeostasis. And also the question should be, why are these ultra processed foods doing this to us? Part of it has to do with something called vanishing caloric density. Vanishing caloric density. And essentially, this is when you eat these ultra-processed foods that, quote, melt in your mouth, that vanish very quickly after a couple of crunches of a Pringle, of a Cheeto, they just sort of disappear. And so your brain and that data that's getting signaled to your brain is that, hey, I didn't really eat much because whatever that was just kind of vanished. And this isn't just something that's made up, by the way. Food scientists 
Stephen Weatherly describes Cheetos, for example, as, quote, one of the most marvelously constructed foods on the planet in terms of pure pleasure. Its ability to, again, quote, melt in your mouth, it's called vanishing caloric density. If something melts down quickly, your brain thinks that there's little to no calories in it. You can just keep eating it forever, forever. All right, so understand that food scientists are literally designing foods to have that impact on our biology. Like, oh, I didn't really eat that much. Let me just keep eating more. And then they have the audacity to put that in their marketing. I bet you can't eat just one. They're not kidding when they say that. Like truly, it is that attractive and addictive and it's playing games with your brain. Another aspect of these ultra processed foods is their interaction with something called the bliss point. Snack food companies do a lot of research in order to design foods that literally manipulate your brain and alter your taste buds into a constant state of craving, a state the industry calls the bliss point. To achieve this bliss point, food scientists pay close attention to something called sensory-specific satiety. Sensory-specific satiety is the tendency for big, distinct flavors to overwhelm the brain, which responds by depressing your desire to have more of that food. So through our evolution, if we were to eat a natural food, like we happen upon, we'll say, some ripe pineapple, we're gonna eat, start eating that pineapple, but soon because of that flavor sensation, because of how it's interacting with our system, that big flavor is going to trigger our brain to say, oh, I've had enough, that's, ooh, I'm good, right? This is why, for most people, they don't go ham eating a whole pineapple. All right, but to avoid that impact with ultra processed foods, junk food scientists and products like Coca-Cola, Doritos, etc., they design things to consist of complex formulas that peak our taste buds just enough to be alluring, but don't have one distinct overriding single flavor that tells the brain to stop eating. Because pineapple has some distinct flavors and you can't eat too much of it because your brain and your biology is gonna be like, oh, that, that, that particular flavor is gonna start to be less delicious as we're eating successive bites of pineapple. But again, there are some people out there who are, you know, can eat a lot of pineapple, but you can apply this to chicken, you can apply this to potatoes, you can apply this to a lot of different things. And I'm talking about the, the whole food version, just eating a potato, you're not gonna eat just a potato by itself. Sweet potato, yeah, maybe, but just a plain, ordinary russet potato without all the trimmings, you'll eat a little bit, you know, you'll eat, you'll eat enough, but as you're having your successive bites, the first bite might be tasty, especially if you're hungry, then each bite thereafter is gonna be less and less delicious. And so again, with the manipulation of the bliss point, food scientists are able to bypass your body's intelligence, telling you to shut it down, I've had enough of this flavor. It doesn't taste as good anymore. All right. So we're deconstructing where our potentially dangerous or abnormal cravings can come from and, and being able to take back control of our biology so that we can make the choices that feel good to us. And so now we're going to look at solutions. 
All right, so we address those five big things that can tip us out of homeostasis. Now let's talk about what we can do about it. So number one, with being able to stop cravings for unhealthy foods or to be able to manage our cravings and take back control of our biology, number one is that we must have stress relief in our lives. We have to have stress relief as a regular habit. We're all experiencing abnormal stress today. The, the very environment that we live in is bringing about stressors that we've never experienced. And so we've gotta put things into place. And one of the most valuable aspects of stress relief and helping our bodies to like recalibrate, to heal from stress is sleep. And we're also the most sleep deprived nation in the history of humanity as well. You know, we've got well over 100 million Americans who are regularly sleep deprived. And also we've got really sound data now, and it's coming from researchers at Stanford, for example, just one night of sleep debt, one night of poor sleep quality can significantly reduce our body's production and sensitivity to leptin. All right, so this is gonna drive more cravings. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, I know that I have. If I've ever found myself not getting enough sleep, in particular, I'm thinking about what's conjuring up in my mind when my wife had my youngest son. All right, it was like two in the morning. Have you ever thought about why babies tend to come like really late in the evening? A lot of times, by the way, that's a whole other story. But it was like two or three in the morning and I'm over there in the doorway just like popping some, my wife had bought some quote organic uh, chocolate covered raisins. And I don't even like that. You know, it's not, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of chocolate covered raisins necessarily. No, no disrespect, I'm, you know, it's no big deal. But I just found myself just popping a few. I'm standing in the doorway, just like they're gone. Before I know it, just like I'm, I'm tearing through this bag. All right, sleep deprived. Of course, I'm a little stressed, you know, excited, but also, you know, of course you got the concern, all the things, but that can drive you to having more cravings and eating things you might not even normally eat. And so that's a big part of this is, is making sure that we have stress relief practices. You know, whatever that is for you, you know what helps to reduce your stress. You know, maybe it's just some quiet time on your own, going for a walk, you know, reading a good book. Maybe it's, you know, um, taking some time, jumping in, uh, in, into the hot tub or going to a sauna or getting a workout in or doing some mobility work or, uh, of course, just taking a nap and shutting things down, uh, spending time with people that you love, listening to music. Give yourself permission to do the thing that helps to shut down stress and create that buffer for you because you need it. All right, this isn't something that I get that reward later if I earn it. No, 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 we can't do that today. We need to put it in place to have a daily habit of stress relief. It's essential. And also, again, time back that drive to eat carbs to that serotonin hit, for example, right? That's not necessarily a bad thing if we're experiencing more stress and we feel a craving for some, some more carbohydrates. But the question is, who can you run to? All right, shout out to Escape, all right? Now, who can you run to for those carbs? Are you gonna run to uh, Captain Crunch? He's not even a real captain, by the way. He's captain, all right? He's not even a real captain. He didn't get certified anywhere, all right? I don't know what he's a cap captain of. Uh, he's a captain of addiction, all right? But are you gonna run to him? Are you gonna run to some sweet potato, you know, to be able to grab some carbohydrates that have a more friendly impact on our biology that can also help again to we're trying to seek homeostasis and that's what it's really all about 
And my family, especially my wife and my youngest son, they love the sweets. They're sweeties. They love their little treats for sure. And, you know, because of that, this is why we designed so many incredible recipes in the new Eat Smarter Family Cookbook that have those sweet treats. You know, the cat, there's cashew butter. They're basically these protein balls, cashew butter planets. They're snicker bites. Don't even get me started on the cheesecake. Yes. Yes, I said it. There's a cheesecake. But it's about increasing the nutrient value of all of these things. And you're going to find like, how did he slide in all these incredible real foods into these respective recipes? All right. Now, I'm not saying cheesecake is a health food, by the way, but what you're going to be able to have access to is a hundred times better than the Cheesecake Factory. No disrespect. We probably got the CEO of Cheesecake Factory listening right now. He's like, Sean, you were my guy. Why you got to call me out like that? My bad. I love you. All respect. I'm just saying we're doing it better. All right. Real ingredients for these flavors, flavor sensations. But most importantly, before we even get to the, the, the dessert part and the sweet treats, but making sure that the basis of our diet is real whole foods that have delicious satiating impact on our biology that's what it's really all about you know and so there's a hundred incredible recipes in this book and also this is the most science-backed cookbook that's ever been designed and i don't say that lightly there's over 250 scientific references in this book so the education is in a league of its own but also the execution on that you don't just learn about the benefits of these uh, for example cherries for example and you get all these studies on its remarkable impact including helping to improve our sleep quality. It's one of the most dense natural sources of melatonin. But how do I use this cherry, Sean? How do I use this? Well, in my heart, healthy shake. Ooh, I'm telling you. Number one, it's delicious. But number two, you're getting an infusion of all these powerful nutrients so that you're eating with a purpose, all right? If you are someone that you care about, is concerned about cardiovascular health, you're gonna see when we talk about that particular superfood, it's going to have little emojis by it to indicate what it's going to target in the human body. And then you'll find later in the recipe section, those same emojis. So if you want to improve your sleep quality, you're going to find emojis that indicate that heart health. You're going to see the little heart emoji. If it's your cognitive function, you want to improve your memory and your focus. You're going to see a little brain emoji, metabolic health, weight loss. You're going to see that muscle emoji. All right. We're doing this based on science, but also honoring the culture honoring the culture that we are living in right now and speaking to the culture that we live in right now to make this more inviting and inclusive because that's what it's really all about. And by the way, with stress, there's a big difference between relaxation and restoration. Relaxation, kicking back, scrolling through your social media, watching TV, whatever the case might be, we are living in the time of great entertainment. Absolutely, there's so much to consume but your brain is firing very differently versus when you shut things down and relax, when you unplug. So just keep that in mind. There's a difference between relaxation and restoration. We need restoration practices more than ever. All right, number two, on our list of five ways to stop cravings for unhealthy foods, number two is to make sure that we are proactively including the number one blood sugar regulator, protein. Of all the macronutrients, protein has the most satiety-inducing factors by far. One of the most potent factors in reducing cravings for unhealthy foods was noted in a study 
that we covered earlier that was published in Cell Metabolism, that Ward study done at the NIH. And what people can look past in that study, which I don't, but of course I don't because I've got the responsibility of delivering it to you. When eating ultra processed foods in this study, although the meals provided contain the same macronutrient ratios in the ultra processed foods and the minimally processed foods, same macronutrients, participants ended up eating significantly more carbs and fat and less protein when eating the ultra processed foods. It's like somehow their mind and their biology was pushing protein to the side along with its satiety inducing effects in order to eat more ultra processed foods. All right, it was just like, whatever has protein in this, I'm not as interested. I wanna eat more of the carby stuff. I wanna eat more of the, the fatty stuff. Not to villainize either of those, but it's just interesting how, even though they were macronutrient identical, people were pushing away the protein in order to eat more. Protein solves a lot of unruly cravings, partly because of the satiety factors. Peptide YY, as we mentioned, GLP-1, leptin, and others are more activated with protein-dense foods than anything else. Researchers at St. Louis University published a study in the International Journal of Obesity, and it looked at what happens with fat loss when you eat a high-carbohydrate breakfast, which was a bagel, versus a high-protein-slash-fat breakfast, which was eggs, with the calorie count of the meals being the same. And again, this is a real whole food form, by the way, okay? So we're not talking about ultra-processed version of protein. We're talking about eggs. The researchers had the participants decrease their caloric intake by 1,000 calories a day in the study, but had people use different macronutrient ratios for their first meal of the day only. Here's what they found after eight weeks. Study participants who had the more protein-dominant breakfast lost 61% more in their body mass index, 65% greater weight loss, 34% greater reduction in waist circumference, and a 16% greater reduction in body fat percentage. Same calories, different macronutrients. All right, for their first meal of the day only, something special about nature's protein-dense foods. All right, now we're gonna move on. And by the way, again, proactively make sure you're getting in, in enough protein at each meal, and it's going to help with that satiety. You're going to decrease the cravings for food later. It's very difficult, and it's also the most kind of thermogenic of all of the macronutrients. There's a lot of energy required in order to process those proteins. So use it to your advantage. It depends on you, but we wanna target at least 20 grams of protein per meal. For many people, it's gonna be uh, significantly more than that, but just make sure that you're getting in that protein for those satiety factors. Number three, in our list of five ways to stop craving unhealthy foods, number three, ensure your macronutrient supplies are filled. Again, chronic nutrient deficiency leads to chronic overeating. This is not gonna come in the form of a quote, multivitamin. That synthetic form of those nutrients is not the same thing as what comes in real foods and real food concentrates. Now, if getting in your variety of whole foods that have those macronutrient bases covered is an issue, and even if you just wanna make sure that your supplies are topped off so your body can do all the cool stuff that it does and helping to regulate your satiety. I'm a huge fan of green superfood concentrates. But my family, even today when I was leaving, my oldest son was getting his Organifi green juice. 
And this is because one of the primary ingredients, well, a couple of the primary ingredients, spirulina, chlorella, are some of the most dense sources of chlorophyll, chlorella, ever seen. A study published in the peer-reviewed journal Appetite found that chlorophyll can assist in weight loss and reduce the urge to eat hyperpalatable, ultra-processed foods. There's something special. It's like nature has this antidote to our ultra-processed food consumption in the form of chlorophyll. And not only that, chlorella, which is, again, one of those uh, super dense nutrients found in Organifi's green juice, a double-blind, placebo-controlled study in clinical and experimental hypertension found that chlorella was able to normalize blood pressure of test subjects with hypertension. Gold standard of clinical testing. There's something about this food that helps to bring homeostasis to the body. Head over to check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. And you're going to get 20% off their incredible green juice blend, all organic, cold process, superfood concentrate. Go to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off store wide. Huge, huge fan of Organifi's green juice. Moving on to number four on our list of five ways to stop cravings for unhealthy foods. Number four is really taking an intentional approach to our social interactions, being more intentional, being more empowered, because this is another big takeaway from today. Cravings are cultural. Cravings are cultural. When it comes to food, we crave what we've been exposed to. A person living near a rice paddy in Thailand who doesn't have a television, who's never seen a convenience store, they've never seen a 7-Eleven or a Quickie Mart that has ultra-processed foods on their store shelves, a person who's never been exposed to that stuff is very unlikely to suddenly crave hot Cheetos. They're very unlikely to suddenly crave like, you know what, I got a, I got a taste for some Funyuns. I don't know where, I don't know what Funyuns are, but I got a taste for them. That's not how it works. And in the context of food, we don't crave what we don't know about. We crave what we've been exposed to within our culture. As strange as it may sound, someone may have an intense craving to eat a deep fried tarantula in Cambodia. All right. This is a real thing. All right. This is out here. They're eating tarantulas in Cambodia and other places as well. It's a delicacy. I love it. All right. It might seem strange to us, but... Another person in Iceland, for example, might have a craving for fermented shark, while another person in Kenya might crave some nyamachoma, some barbecue goat meat, all right? It just depends on what you've been exposed to in your culture. And this is why being aware of our culture and our accessibility to ultra-processed food is so important because the culture that we exist in, the macroculture, is inundating us with desire to eat these ultra-processed foods. Whereas we can take control of our microculture in our household. And that's what the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook is really all about at its core. The heart of that book is about creating a culture that makes health easy for your family, creating a culture that makes connection easy for your family. And if you get to do so, please pop over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite retailer, and pre-order this cookbook while you still can to be one of the first to get it and also get hooked up with all these incredible bonuses that we have in store for you, including free admission to the 2023 Health and Fitness Family Summit. You get free access. It's about a $300 ticket for the event. You get it for free. This virtual event you're going to attend from anywhere in the world. Plus, you're going to get entered into the 25K Health and Fitness Giveaway. 
So you're gonna get access to potentially winning $500 in fitness equipment from On It, $500 in groceries from Thrive Market, and the list goes on and on. And that's at eatsmartercookbook.com to get hooked up with those bonuses. So invest in yourself, invest in your family, invest in being a part of this mission. Grab your copy of the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook ASAP. And now moving on to number five on the list of the five ways to stop cravings for unhealthy foods. Number five is to shift the ratio of ultra processed foods in your diet and take back your palate. All right, we're not talking about eliminating ultra processed foods. You live in the world, you're probably going to bump into a honey bun or two. All right, Cinnabon, they'd be on some smells, all right? Um, but there's all kinds of stuff that out, out there that we're going to be exposed to. It's not about completely swearing off those things. It's making sure that the majority of my diet is real food, is made of real food that ensures these nutrigenomic, epigenomic controllers are making sure that the outspring or the outpicturing of my health is radiant, is sustainable, is healthy. And the same thing holds true for our children because... We cannot have free choice when our biology and our psychology is being manipulated. You might think that you're choosing what you're eating, but that's just a perception. We live in a culture that is inundating us at every turn. You don't see commercials for real food. Broccoli doesn't have a damn commercial. You see commercials for cereal, for beer, for every fast food that you could name. You don't see commercials for real food. You don't see that out here walking the streets. It's all advertisements everywhere at every turn for ultra processed foods. We're swimming in it. And so we've got to take back control of our minds and our palates by simply shifting that ratio. Make sure that the majority of your diet is made of real food. Whereas today, according to the BMJ, 60% of the average adult in America's diet is now made of ultra processed food. And the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook is providing the first book publishing this new study that was cited in the journal JAMA, finding that almost 70% of the average American child's diet is now made of ultra-processed foods. Enough is enough, we have to change this. We have to shift that ratio. It's 70 to 30 now, what if we switch that to 30% ultra-processed, 70% real food? What kind of health revolution can we create in our families, in our children? So I highly encourage you to grab your copy of the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. And of course, share this episode out with the people that you care about. Get this information into more people's hands so they could take back control of their own biology so they can understand their cravings and really the science behind all of this because it's just going to provide you with something else in your superhero utility belt that can help you to make choices that lead to healthier outcomes. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. We've got some epic masterclasses and world-class guests coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.